I'd like us to just pray together for the future uh, of Venture Church and our outreach in this community and around the world. So can we pray together? Heavenly Father, we come today and we celebrate, God, what you have done. Venture Church is your church. And uh, God, we are honored that you would choose to use us in any capacity in your kingdom. Lord, it is truly an honor. We serve at your pleasure. God, I pray that you would help us to bring light to the darkness. God, that we would minister to the needs in our community, that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus, that we would love others the way that you told us to love them. May we fall in the footsteps of Jesus as he served the brokenhearted, as he cared for the sick, as he healed those who were, who were injured and hurting. God, as he spoke hope to those who were hopeless, God, may we continue this work. Father, I pray that you would use us. Each person in this room, God, may we share with others the hope that we have. Father, I pray that you would help us as we seek to build a new campus and, Father, as we seek to uh, launch the Venture Cares mobile market, as we seek to grow leadership outreach and, and train pastors around the world. God, all of this is for your glory. It is not for our own accolades. It's not for our own credit. God, it is all for you. We do everything for your glory, for your honor. And so, God, may your hand of blessing continue to be upon this church and each person who calls Venture their home. God, just help us to make a difference. Help us to spark a movement of God in this community. And uh, God, we look forward to what you're going to do. We, we are so humbled when we see what you've already done in the last six years. But God, we look forward to what you're going to do in the future. So Lord, just bless, uh, bless us, I pray. Bless our time together as we study your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen and amen. We're in week two of our series, Unlikely Heroes. Last week, we looked at the story of David and his incredible triumph over Goliath. As a young man, David displayed tremendous courage by standing against the giant Philistine as he came and he taunted the children of Israel. Armed with just faith in God and a boy's slingshot, David single-handedly defeated Israel's biggest foe. David was the youngest of eight sons born to a shepherd named Jesse. When he wasn't at home, he was out in the fields uh, taking care of his father's sheep. Uh, David was a unique individual. He was a skilled harpist. I'm not sure how and when he learned to do that, but he, he could play an instrument. He was a poet, um, a songwriter. He had a very kind heart. He loved to sing praises to God. He wrote 73 of the 153 Psalms in the Bible. David's story is a story, it's really a, a portrait of success and failure. Uh, and the Bible, the Bible gives us both sides. The Bible shows us the highlights of David's life and it shows us the lowlights of David's life. But David was different and God loved him. He had a heart that was always pursuing God. He had a deep desire to know and follow God. In fact, in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul speaks of God's feeling towards King David. And he said this, after this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel, the prophet. Then the people asked for a king and he gave them Saul, son of Kish of the tribe of Benjamin. He ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. 
From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. What a glowing recommendation that God would say, this is a man after my own heart. Now, next week, I'm going to talk about what it is that I believe made David a man after God's own heart. But before that, we need to talk about some of, some of David's less than noble actions. As much as David did right, he was prone to making some pretty terrible decisions. And that's probably true of all of us, right? One minute you're doing right, living right, acting right, and then boom, you do something stupid, right? Anybody here ever do that? You know, you got it all together, then all of a sudden everything falls apart. You know, has that happened to you as well? It's kind of surprising how quickly you can go from hero to zero, isn't it? You know, you're like, well, why did I do that? That was so stupid. Well, in our story today, we're going to see that David did the same thing. David let fear, he let anger, and he let loneliness cloud his judgment. And it led him to make some really terrible decisions. So, and let me just say, fear, anger, and loneliness are very destructive. And they can lead us to make bad decisions. As I look over my life, uh, some of the worst decisions I've ever made in life happened at a time when I was either angry or lonely uh, or allowing fear to affect my judgment. And probably most of you could say the same thing. So when you're feeling lonely or when you're feeling afraid uh, or, or when you're feeling angry, can I just say that's a good time to stop making decisions? That's a good time to, to just push pause until you get things squared away. Get your, get your head cleared. Seek some wise counsel. Spend some time with God. Spend some time in prayer before you make some decisions. Because when, when those things are prevalent in your life, you can make some really bad decisions. And we're going to see that David did just that. So, some of you are probably thinking you know where I'm going to go with this already. You're probably thinking, oh, well, he's about to read of David's encounter with, with Bathsheba and his adulterous uh, affair and then his murderous uh, response. And that clearly was a terrible decision in, in David's life. That's probably his most famous blunder. But that blunder happened at a much later time in his life. Uh, David was probably in his 50s when that happened. We're going to be looking at a blunder that David did when he was in his 20s. In fact, this blunder happened probably somewhere five to 10 years after his great victory uh, over Goliath. Now, he had, he had just a few years back, he had defeated Goliath and, and, and the Philistines, and, and David had become a national celebrity. Everybody knew David. He had a lot of power. He had a lot of influence. And you know, popularity, power, and influence are powerful forces to manage. If you steward them well, great things can happen. If you don't steward them well, it can lead to destruction. So David here rose in popularity and power and influence. And King Saul got jealous. 1 Samuel chapter 18, let's begin reading verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as, as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. 
Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even the sword, his bow and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful the Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troop and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, with timbrels and lyres. And as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Now, for sake of time this morning, I'm going to give you the Cliff's Notes version of the backstory here. Uh, David ended up marrying one of Saul's daughters, a young lady named Michal, uh, and that made, that made David Saul's son-in-law. Uh, and as we just read, David became best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. And so, as you can see, as part of Saul's family, as close friends with Saul's son, David became a pretty important part of Saul's family circle. And not only that, David was very popular uh, in the public. Uh, he was popular with the armies. He was popular with the officers. Uh, he was just a really well-liked guy. Everywhere Saul went, people were talking about David, how great he was, how great he was, and how amazing the things he had done was and what he was doing. And so you can imagine, Saul kind of got sick and tired of hearing about how great David was. And so Saul decided probably the best thing for him to do was to get rid of David. So he sent David on these impossible uh, military missions against the Philistines, asking uh, David to do just these really crazy things that surely should have gotten him killed, and yet David was victorious. He just kept on winning. So Saul took matters into his own hands, and there were times that Saul threw javelins and spears at David. He had many times attempted to kill David, but it seemed that no matter what Saul did, David always escaped and prevailed. And that just made Saul even more angry at David. In fact, even Saul's son and daughter, you know, were on team David. And that just really got to him. And one night at dinner, it was a big deal to get invited to the king's table. And of course, Jonathan uh, and, and Michal were there and, and uh, David didn't show up. And it was the second time that David didn't show up. And and Saul was kind of ticked, and he's like, you know, wh where's David? You know, he's supposed to be here, and he, and he wasn't. And it, again, it made Saul really angry. And, and Jonathan and David had, had kind of made a pact that, listen, if, if my dad's about ready to come after you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a warning sign, and then if, if you see that, you need, you need to flee. Well, uh, Saul made it clear that he was going to kill David, and so Jonathan triggered the alarm, and, you know, David... Uh, had to escape. Now, so far in the story, David is still our unlikely hero. He's still doing great, making good choices, and, and all was well. He was, a, he was a celebrity, done nothing wrong. Uh, the Lord was continuing to bless his battles. He was honoring God. He, he prayed with the prophet uh, Samuel. He, you know, he had done the best that he could given the circumstances. And then we get to 1 Samuel chapter 21, and when Jonathan tells David, 
you need to get out of town, David flees to a city called Nob to meet with Ahimelech, the priest. That's where we're going to pick it up in chapter 21, verse 1. So David went to Nob to Ahimelech, the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? Now, let me pause here for just a moment. This was very unusual. And Ahimelech was like, whenever David comes, he should have an entourage with him. It would be like if the president of the United States showed up at your house alone. You know, I mean, nobody else with him, no security, no secret service, no, nobody protecting him. He just shows up at your house, at your front door. And you're like, what are, what are you doing in where, where, where's your, where's your team? Well, that was what Ahimelech was saying here. Verse two, David answered Ahimelech, the priest, the king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I'm sending you on. As for my men, I've told them to meet me at a certain place. Now, our unlikely hero finds himself in a dangerous spot. He's fearful. He's running for his life. He's probably a little bit angry that this is happening, and he's all alone. Now, what did we say happens when you're angry and fearful and alone? We make poor decisions, right? Well, for whatever reason, instead of being truthful with Ahimelech the priest... He could have just said, hey, listen, just between you and me, Ahimelech, Saul's out to kill me. I'm running for my life and I need help. That would have been the honest thing to say, right? That's not what he said. He said, uh, I've been sent here on a mission from the king. Somebody say that's a lie. <laughs> he says, I'm on a top secret mission. That's a lie. I'm here alone because I sent my men to meet me at a certain place. That's a lie. You see, David lost sight of the fact that God was with him. David forgot about God's care and God's provision and God's protection. He forgot about the lion and the bear that he killed with his bare hands with God's help. He'd forgotten that just five, ten years ago he'd killed Goliath with God's help. And in this situation, he decided he needed to take matters into his own hands. Verse 3, now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered, David, I don't, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here. So David had taken off. He'd gotten to Nob and he was hungry. I can relate to that. I'm usually hungry wherever I go. And David gets there and he's hungry. So he asks the priest, he says, hey, do you have any bread that I can eat? Well, now, you know, he said that, he, you know, Ahimelech's part of the priestly family and he's, he's a high priest and, and they're in the temple and they don't have any common bread. They don't have bread that is for the general public, only that which was ceremonially supposed to be dedicated to the Lord and then only the priest could eat it. So Ahimelech says to him, well, all, all we really have is the bread that was on, you know, the show table there that's dedicated to the Lord, you know, that only the priests are supposed to eat. David said, I don't care. Give it to me, I'm hungry. So he took the bread and he ate it. So we can start to see here, things are spiraling for David. Unbeknownst to David, King Saul's chief, chief shepherd, might be cheap, I don't know. <laughs> King Saul's chief shepherd, 
happened to be there and happened to overhear David's conversation with Ahimelech. Now, his name was Doeg the Edomite. I typically just call him Doug because Doeg sounds weird. So I call him Doug. So Doug hears what David says to Ahimelech. That's going to be important when we get to the end of the message. So just log that. Pick it up in verse 8. David asked Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or a sword here? I've brought my, I, I, I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was urgent. The priest replied, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the Valley of Elah, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. <laughs> Do you see the irony here? David gets here. Now, clearly, David had used his sword to kill Goliath. It was David's sword. At some point, David recognized that, hey, this, this, this sword is special. I need, I need to give it to the Lord. And so he'd given it to the priests, and they had put it in the ephod. It was, it, was, it was a big deal. Goliath's sword was right there in the temple. And David gets there all alone. He's hungry, didn't bring a weapon. He says, you guys got any kind of weapons? You got any sword? He says, well, just, I mean, just Goliath's sword, the one that you turned in, the one that you killed him with. Now, mind you, they're in the temple. They're in the tabernacle. They're at the very place where just, just beyond the curtain is the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant are the 10 what? Commandments. And one of those commandments is what? Thou shalt not lie, right? So David certainly knows this. David knew the law. But did that, that stop David? No. The lies just keep on coming. So David asks for Goliath's sword, and he takes it. The last time David touched his sword, it changed his life. So you kind of got to ask yourself, what happened to this clear-eyed, courageous, God-fearing young man? What happened to the godly man who said to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. What happened to that unlikely hero who ran toward danger, not from it? What happened to the famous poet who said, I will fear no evil for thou art with me? What happened to that David? David is now in a downward spiral of lies and deception, dragging him further and further from the Lord. Let's pick it up in verse 10. That day, David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Evidently, it was a popular song in Hebrew radio back then. Um, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. Okay. Now, you, you've got to see, I mean, this is crazy. David goes and he gets Goliath's sword and then fleeing Saul, he goes to Gath, which is the headquarters of who? The Philistines. Remember the one that he's been killing for the last 10 years? He now goes to the king of the Philistines with Goliath's sword 
to the city of Gath. Anybody know who lived in Gath? Goliath. He goes to Goliath's hometown to the king of the Philistines because he's looking to them for help. You, you've got to say, are you kidding me? What was he thinking? Well, clearly, <laughs> the Philistines, they weren't buying what David was selling here. They didn't, they, they, they didn't trust him. Like, oh, okay, so you're coming here. You're you, like, no, sorry. Uh, you're not going to fool us and kill us again. And so David, wait till you see this, verse 12. David takes these words to heart and was very much afraid, there it is again, of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. I mean, if you're gonna put on a show, you might as well go for an Oscar, right? I mean... <clears throat> David's just, he's just kind of lost his marbles. So now he thinks, well, the only way I can get out of this is if I look like I'm a madman. And he starts, I can't even, we probably can't even in our minds envision what David looked like. And it's so sad. So sad. He's making a fool of himself. Mind you, he'd already been anointed king by Samuel. He had the trust and the respect of the people. He'd been an ardent follower of God. He was respected throughout the land. But fear and anger and loneliness had gotten the best of him, and it drove him to make one bad decision after another to the point that future King David goes and lives in a cave. For Samuel 22, verse 1, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down there to him. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. So he flees to a cave. Somehow word gets back to his family that he's living alone in a cave, and they come up and, and a merry band of misfits join them. And about 400 of them come up there, and he's leading this little group of 400 misfits living in a cave. Now, there's more to the story, but for the sake of time, let me just hit fast forward. David finally, at some point, comes to his senses. He heads back to Judah. He meets with another priest and admits that he's made a fool of himself, and he wants to know what God would have him do next. Finally, he makes a good decision. But there are consequences for one's actions. And we're about to see these unfold in a tragic way. Remember Doeg, Doug, Saul's chief shepherd? Well, 1 Samuel 22, verse 9. But Doeg the Edomite, who was standing with Saul's officials, said, I saw the son of Jesse come to Ahimelech, son of Ahitub at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions, that's the bread, and the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Then the king sent for the priest 
Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, and all the men of his family who were the priests at Nob, and they all came to the king. Saul said, listen now, son of Ahitub. Yes, my lord, he answered. Saul said to him, why have you conspired against me? You and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of God for him so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as he does today. Ahimelech answered the king, who of all your servants is as loyal as David? The king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard and highly respected in your household. Was that the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family for your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. But the king said, you will surely die, Ahimelech, you and your whole family. Then the king ordered the guards to decide, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because they have too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. But the king's officials were unwilling to raise a hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Then the king ordered Doeg, you turn and strike down the priest. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put to the sword Nob, the town of the priest, with its men and women, its children and infants, its cattle, donkeys, and sheep. What a tragic story. Because of David's actions, the entire town of Nob was murdered. Hundreds were killed. Animals weren't even spared. It's tragic. Fear, anger, and loneliness. They can lead us to a dangerous place mentally that have some serious consequences. You see, you end up making decisions you later regret. David lied to the priest. He ate the consecrated bread. He took Goliath's sword. And if you're not careful, then you end up going places you never thought you'd go. He went to Gath, tried to side with the Philistines, ended up acting like a crazy person, fled them and ended up living in a cave all alone. And too many times you end up hurting people you never wanted to hurt. The chief priest's entire family, the entire family line was killed. The inhabitants of Nob that had done nothing wrong were killed. David's wife, Michal, his friend Jonathan were estranged from their father. How many times have we seen this same story played out in our generation? How many times have we seen where somebody, man, they had their act together. They were serving God. They were living right. They were pleasing God with their life and all that they did. And then somewhere along the way, a series of bad decisions. Oh, it starts off small at first. A little bad decision here, a little lie here, a little stretch the truth here, a little exaggeration there. And then... You got to lie to cover that lie and lie to cover that lie. And I can't remember what the last lie was. And before long, you've, you've spiraled into this mountain of lies and you find yourself in a place you never thought you'd be. Hurting people that you never would have wanted to hurt. 
You see, because our decisions often carry collateral damage. And we can hurt people that we never, ever wanted to hurt. And our decisions affect a lot of people. Our bad decisions affect a lot of people. Our good decisions do as well. But David, our unlikely hero in this story, is a stark warning to each of us not to follow in his footsteps. David's heart may have been in the right place, but his decisions were awful. And it cost many people their lives. So if you're facing some big decisions in life right now, but you're operating in fear or in loneliness or in anger, look at David's life and use it as an example to say, you know what? I probably need to pause any big decisions right now because I'm not thinking right. I might make a decision that has downstream effects that are going to hurt a lot of people that I never want to hurt. It's going to take me places I never want to go. I'll end up doing things I never want to do. So you need to stop. Pray, seek the Lord, get some counsel. We need some unlikely heroes in our generation. We need some people who, like David, will stand up against the giants of our day. But we need to be careful because oftentimes, right after huge successes, become big failures if we're not careful. It can happen to any of us. If it can happen to David, it can happen to you, it can happen to me. That's why we need guardrails. That's why we need, that's why we need friends. That's why events like the cars and coffee are important. Not because of cars or not because of coffee but because of relationships and friendships. Because we need other people to kind of keep us going in the right direction and doing the right things. Because when we, when we are lonely, we are prone to making bad decisions. We need, we need some people who will rise to the occasion. We need some young men and women who will be unlikely heroes who will step out like David did and do right, but then make good decisions along the way. My friends, if we're going to spark a movement of God in this community, we need, we need some unlikely heroes. I want to see our young people surrendering their lives to ministry. 10 to 15 years from now, we're going to be, America is going to be in a very bad place because so few people are going into ministry today that the pulpits are going to be empty. It's already happening. Thousands of pulpits are empty today and there's no one to fill them. And it's going to continue to get worse and worse. We need to pray that God would raise up a next generation of people who will serve and teach and preach, who will work with teens and work with youth. who will stand up and lead. It's what we need. It's why we are so committed to leadership outreach and training pastors around the world. 800 church leaders today. That number will probably be over 1,000 by the end of the year. In 10 years, I expect we'll have five to 10,000 students in the leadership outreach training network. That is 100% funded through Venture Church. That is a ministry of this church. It's what we believe God has asked us to do and we're doing the best we can for his glory. So I know we're talking about heroes and we typically want to focus on 
the good things they do. And, and we did that last week with David, and we'll do it again next week with David. Then we're going to move on to the next unlikely hero. But I think it's important that we also read the cautionary tales. Because if we're not careful, any one of us in this room can be like David and make some terrible decisions and hurt people we never wanted to hurt. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word. God, it can be heartbreaking to read a story like this. God, I mean, even today, thousands of years later, our heart just kind of grieves for Ahimelech and his family and the inhabitants of Nob, who of no fault of their own were murdered. God, I can only imagine how David must have felt when he heard that. God, may we learn from David's mistakes. May we be inspired by his successes, but may we learn from his mistakes so that we don't repeat them and we don't do the same things. God, there may be someone here today that at some point in their life, they were on fire for God. They were, they were doing great. They were, they were being used by you in a powerful way. And God, maybe... Maybe they've drifted. Maybe they've wandered. Maybe like David, they find themselves in a cave or in the enemy camp or just in a place they shouldn't be. God, I pray that today would be a day where they would just come back to you. God, I pray that today they would take that one step to draw closer to you. Lord, your word says if we'll draw nigh to you, you'll draw nigh to us. So God, I pray that today, even as I'm praying now, that they would pray and say, you know what, God, that's me. I've wandered. I've drifted. But I don't want to become like David. I don't want to hurt people I love. I don't want to disappoint God. So God, may today be a day of repentance and change. And God, would you raise up some unlikely heroes amongst this crowd, in our church, in our family, in this community. God, that we may continue the work that you started some six years ago. So Lord, just help us. Help us to please you every day and rely on you every single day. Lord, your word tells us in John 15, for without you, we can do nothing. So God, we lean into you. We ask for your help. Father, now I pray as we go that you would help us to bring light to the darkness. And God, you'd help us to be men and women of faith and bring glory to you in all that we do. Father, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen and amen.